Good morning. Welcome to The Old School, a podcast about the American education system, uh, its traits, its qualities, its controversies, its foibles, problems, and so far as we know, solutions to those problems, they will also be put forth. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Good morning, Herr Miller. Um, how are you doing today? We're doing this side by side in real life, not by Zoom. And I'm a little... I'm a little taken aback because you apparently got me in a lower seat, no. so it looks like I'm at the kids' table. Well, so. I did that intentionally. I was wondering if I was taller than you. I think <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty yeah. close. So we're sitting here in the nurturing environs of your office, mm-hmm. uh, about ready to record. Uh, we are, I would say, imbibing. We are partaking in us. Cheers. Cheers. All right, there you go. Yeah. Um, hold on while I take a drink. These are the kind of drinks that are not for the younger folks. We can't mention what kind of drink this is. No, and and having well, a, we can mention it like in general. This is a scotch. Well, we can't mention what brand it is. Well, you outdid yourself, Herr Miller. Yeah, um, I just don't understand why your drink has an umbrella in it. It doesn't have an umbrella. You know that. <laughs> um, who drinks drinks with umbrellas? Who in drinks it? at 11 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say what time it was. I was just saying we had a drink. No one knows what time it is when we do these things. So, well, this will explain the content <laughs> and the fact that you're giggling. Like, <laughs> <If> thing, <laughs> well, we're here laughing like snurdly. Wow. Um, no, we're fine. Okay. This is a modest, respectable, gentlemanly uh, portion of scotch. So I think we're going to be all right. Well, uh, let, let's let the podcast determine that. What are we? What are we doing today? I think you have a, a a shameless plug, and I think our whole episode is a shameless plug today. It is going to be a shameless plug, but it's done in the backdrop of yet another school year has started. The kids have returned to the classroom. Really? Yeah. Uh, it's only a matter of time before I start getting a sore throat because you're not used to projecting your voice over the course of the summer. And so, but uh, kids seem all right. You know, it's early though. It could go south quick. Those kids could turn into Lord of the Flies any moment now. So, (laughs) well, they sense weakness uh, and small blood, and and that's that's the truth. But they can also sense it when you're not taking any nonsense. And as a rule, I don't take nonsense. No, no. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes this year. I mean. They're all good kids. They're nice kids. There's no such thing as a bad boy. Isn't that what Father O'Brien said in uh, Boys Town? <laughs> I don't want to even discuss that now. <laughs> You're an idiot. I'm talking about the notion that there's no such thing as a bad kid. <laughs> Maybe you started drinking before I got here. <laughs> we need to like... <laughs> Abort. <laughs> We're gonna have to start this whole damn thing over again. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, no. So, in the backdrop of all of this, this past weekend or the weekend before last, our book dropped on Amazon. Wait a minute. We have a book. We have a book. Uh, uh, no pictures in it. No pop-ups. No uh, graphics. Nothing like that to kind of dilute the intellectual um, tenor of the book. Uh, but. Um, there you go. We got a book and it's on sale. It is called The Center Cannot Hold a Critical Look on Contemporary Education, available on Amazon. 
the paperback version. There's a Kindle version. It has been rumored that an audio book is forthcoming. But wow, that's a that's quite a long intro. What was the name of that title again? So the the center cannot hold a critical look at contemporary education. That's kind of an ostentatious title. Did you think of that? Uh, I think it's you that came up with that because I would never be that bombastic in my delivery of verbiage. Well, we'll we'll leave the reference in the title to the to the research of the readers. I think some of most of our readers know that that comes from a poem by Yeats. Um, yes. Um, and the the book um everything's going to hell is basically what's happening there yeah and 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 we're like this beacon of restraint in a world of car crazies (laughs) is that woody allen (laughs) no it's it's like that was from the right stuff if you recall oh yes um so so we're 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 coming in with criticism and very few solutions kind of like we're doing right here and i think i think one of the things to consider is that this book, probably not unlike most books, um, is the product of conversations, conversations that were had when you and I first met at a previous school, and we actually officed together for reasons mm-hmm. passing all understanding. I don't know how it was that we ended up in the same office, but we do, and we did, and we had had a we had a former student reach out to us uh, on. Uh, um, some social media thing or, or another. And she said, it was just like, um, just like listening to us in a classroom. She goes, and she had told me before though, that she always wondered what we talked about in our office. I said, well, here it is. This is it. This is what we talked about. Uh, we're probably not as eloquent as we are now. No, I'm not even close. Surely not as learned as we are now, but uh, nevertheless, it's the product of a lot of conversation and uh, based on things that we're seeing firsthand in the classroom. So a, a combination of a, you know, a little bit of theory, a um, little bit of what's happening in, in the world, uh, but also what we what we saw for 20, 25 years, however long we've been at it. And, and I think in addition to those conversations in the office, we had the opportunity to drive to school together for about mm-hmm. five years. Yes. Um, Five years of um, again conversations, and yeah, we didn't we didn't take that conversation lightly. I was a little bit afraid for my life most of those times. So just <laughs> the talking kind of took my mind away. No, from no, fear. no. You were in good hands, and you know you were in good hands. I'm an excellent driver. So. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. But the thing is, is that um, you know, and I I want people to not shy away from the notion that this is a in part a byproduct of philosophy. Uh, because I think sometimes when people hear the word philosophy, they think of a bunch of pinheads talking about things that are so esoteric as to not be very practical and not be anything that can be put into use. And in actuality, philosophy, I think, as it was originally intended, was the idea of seeking solutions. It was the idea of trying to find a way of thinking, a way of approaching things that would maximize whatever it was you were talking about or try to solve any problems you were trying to overcome. And so when we say philosophy, um, I guess there's some pinheadedness to it, but at the same time, it's also a, a kind of an honest desire to try to find a solution, various solutions to the problems we face. 
Well, we we covered some ground. I'm opening up the book now because I can't remember what the hell we wrote. Um, <laughs> Too much scotch. Yeah. Now this was over quite a few years. You know, four or five years yes. in the in the making. So we we don't take it lightly. No. Um, but we we talk about several things. I don't necessarily need to read the table of contents here. You might. Uh, you you have the radio voice, Mr. Miller, but you can't see. That's the problem. Well, I got my glasses. What are we doing? Well, just. Read, well, a, read, read a couple. Don't read the whole thing, but maybe some of the more interesting titles because they're sort of catchy. Well, teaching and entertainment. This is a yeah. topic that we have gone to from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, technology kind of works as that source of entertainment. And the fact that it can be characterized that way shows that sometimes the usage of technology can be rather specious, non-productive, and ultimately... Uh, you know, damaging to the goals that you're trying to reach in the classroom as a teacher. That's right. And so we we took a kind of a direct approach, uh, kind of dated ourselves a little bit because our you know attack was you know not on um, social media. Well, it was a little bit, but but we we attacked Elmo. We went right to yeah. Sesame Street, and I, I think that that was, was a, that was a dark day. It was. Um, so we we started there, and it just went downhill. And it should be noted, and we've talked about this before in one of our many fine episodes. I can't remember which one particularly, but you know, we talked about the idea of you know going after Sesame Street, going after the History Channel, going after these rather re- well, I guess History Channel is not revered. Sesame Street is people but love going, it. People yeah, love people, it. well, people love it. Going after these beloved um, uh, conduits of quote unquote education. Mm-hmm. Um, people think that this is a, a a something against the entity in and of itself, but it's not so much about that. It's about one, its impact, and two, how it changes expectations in the classroom, and not necessarily for the better. You know, we talked about the notion, and we've talked about this at conferences about the idea that the History Channel gives kids a rather distorted notion of what it means to study history. Because they're sitting there in front of a television and they're watching history. Uh, Johnny loves history, you know. Uh, okay, Johnny loves history, but can Johnny? Does Johnny want to do history? Because right now he's not really doing it. He's just listening to what someone else did, and that's part of the issue that we face as history teachers. One of many problems we face as history teachers. Don't, don't get started. Okay. <laughs> so, but uh, but it's one of the problems we face as history teachers, and we have to try to overcome. We either overcome or we submit. We submit. We just succumb to the, the the silliness, the entertainment aspect, the technology. And unfortunately, a lot of history teachers do it. They've submitted just because it's not worth the fight. And for me, it's worth the fight. So that's why we are writing a book. And we've written a book. We, we certainly have. Um, the, that concept of, of entertainment, I think something we maybe haven't talked about too much is that you know before the students the children whatever we want to call them get even get to school you know they've uh, an expectation as you know, groundwork is has been laid mm-hmm. that, that this is you know, schools may be different but they have they're they're used to being entertained right you know every every minute of the day with some type of in, input and that, you know from the moment they wake up they are entertaining themselves and the fact that it's considered a good idea to continue the process once they get into school and that school should not represent anything different or higher 
than what is generally seen in our culture. I'm not sure that's the way to go. And that's partly what some of the issues that we tackle and some of the problems that we provide solutions for in the book has to do with this notion of entertainment. Well, it's certainly ramped up. Um, even the concept of seeing a kid in front of the television now, you know, they'd probably be quite bored because they don't have the remote, they don't have the mouse, um, and, and they're trapped to to passively sit and, and get this information or entertainment, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes those those days, those bygone days of watching um, television um, seem relatively you know, uneventful compared to what, what they can do now. And the fact that our book touches on the notion of entertainment from an education paradigm, that's not to suggest that that's the limit of the effect. I mean, you're seeing it in politics, you're seeing it in religion. God forbid you should go into a church and not see a screen or anything of that nature or constant reminders that they're on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, TikTok or whatever the heck they're doing. And I know I sound like an old man yes. saying this, but, but you are the, <laughs> really old. I didn't mean to talk to you about that. <laughs> Just trying to catch up to you, old man. So, but, uh, but I mean, but this is something that's being seen. And having an an ill effect beyond the schools, our purview is schools. We're not um, we're not qualified to speak on other topics, to some degree or another. But we're gonna we're gonna stick to the notion of education. Well, we can speak on you know to some popular um, culture items like like athletics for one. Um, what I don't like is is when you see high school, middle school, elementary kids are doing the little touchdown dance as if they've never been in the end zone before. <laughs> I'm not sure where they got that, you know, but they're they're watching everybody and they're emulating. And uh, there, there's something in that example, I think, that that bothers me too much. Now you sound a lot more old manish just now than I do. No, you act like you've been there before and, and you hand the ball to the official. Yes. And, and, and that makes a statement. Yes. Um, it's like you... And you, you, the game is still on, and, and, yes. and that you didn't win the whole game just because you got. You could be down by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and score, you know, a, a touchdown that doesn't really matter. They still do the little touchdown dance, and, and, and that that bothers me even more. I think we need to be careful not to get too deep in sports because that would really sidetrack. Because you and I could talk about sports. Oh, we can. We can. Um, is there anything in the book about sports? Um, there should be. There should. Um, I don't know if there. I can't remember if there is or it's not. Hard, but. It's hard to keep you off of baseball, but it, <laughs> no, I, I think we we stuck to our our script mm. because uh, we had chapters and and focused, and we were trying to you know tell our story, um, our, our own story in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And beyond entertainment, we tackle issues such as assessment and what kind of impact that has had on education, and the fact that. You know, educate testing and assessment has had the effect of both limiting the curriculum, uh, in some ways, kind of distorting what it means to be educated and what it means to be able to show knowledge. Because I tell you, I mean, the average test that someone takes in a classroom does not necessarily suggest knowledge. I told my students this this past week. I said, you know, listen, if you can make an A on a test, hey, good for you. Good job. You know, if you can if you can do uh, you can do a, a 95 on a on an AP U.S. history multiple choice question test. Good for you. 
but that doesn't show that you know the information. It could just equally show that you know how to take a test. And, you know, we talked about the notion of what it would mean to have a conversation. Could you actually prove your knowledge? And so when we say that assessments have a, at times, detrimental effect, it's because it has the ability and it has the power and influence to change what we teach, how we teach, and how students experience that teaching. I think it's one of my favorite parts of the book. We, mm. we get into state testing and debunk value-added models where you can uh, grade a teacher based upon the performance of the students that happen to be placed in their room. Um, but it, it, it's something we come back to in the podcast. It, it, it really bothers us because it really is at the heart part of everything, and it's um, it's on everybody's mind. And so when, when a parent asks a, a student at the dinner table if they actually have dinner together, um, <laughs> how are you doing in school? You know, you're going to get a number, 93, mm. you know, and so you're trying to quantify something um, that, that really you know, resists that type of me measurement because it's more complicated. So someone once wrote, and I can't remember who wrote it, you might remember, where they said that assessments and the grades uh, that stem from assessments center on an idea that's the least interesting part about the education process yeah they're the least they can be the most the least meaningful right elements um well that's uh depressing there, <laughs> there there's some some fun in our book too right rollicking fun about uh what what's the what's the high point of that as far as humor is there any humor in it or is it just dry uh, education writing. But I think it can. I think there is some humor in it, and a lot of it has to do with anecdotal evidence that uh, you and I provide throughout the book uh, to try to one to show kind of the actuality of the problems that we're facing, but also from time to time to show the ridiculousness that we have from time to time had to deal with and experience from students. Um, so and there's there's you know that that's sprinkled throughout the text. So really, the whole podcast is touching on the, those subjects and a lot more. But we we were able to, we hope, make a coherent argument um, with with some some evidence that's theoretical and some that comes from our, our teaching careers. Yes, and I think to certain to to a certain extent, the podcast is a is a mirror to the book. It is, you know, it's a combination of serious conversations and discussions, and at times there is. I'm going to go so far as to say frivolity, uh, but certainly of a, of a kind of a, a kind of a interesting comedic, although not intentional comedic uh, interludes about uh, reports, scenes from the classroom. Oh, so. Yeah, I, th I think we are educational comedians and I think the world needs some of that to it. To the world it. may not know they need it. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they, they probably should should buy the book. What was the title of that again? It's called The Center Cannot Hold a Critical Look at Contemporary Education, available through Ahart's Education on Amazon, paperback, 1995, Kindle, ridiculously you're, less than that. And then you're giving the price. No, <laughs> well, you got to know, you know, so, well, um, and then potentially an audio book forthcoming. Yeah. You need to get to work on that. I know. I do. Yeah, I do. Um, now beware because the title has a colon and nothing, nothing wrong with a colon, but if you just type the center cannot hold, you might, the book might not come up. 
just yes. yet until we get some more readers. So make sure you write a critical look or or see uh, look up our our names. I think yes, you, know, you you may get there one way or the other. Or we'll actually what we can do. You know, normally we in our information on a podcast we we put a little bit about the episode. We also put the music you know citation for that. Indeed. But we, we might as well put the title of that book. Might as well. Um, with the colon. Because yeah. everyone knows what happens when the colon goes south on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Did, tell you, you, you end up with a different book altogether. Yeah. So I really want to talk about that. <laughs> um, we're over 50. We all know. We're all grown ups here. So, but um, no, but uh, one of the other topics we deal with has to do with trust. You know, you, you, you look, you go through trainings and you go through, um, uh, required videos and all these other things. And you sometimes are left with the notion and the feeling that you're not terribly trusted to do your job. Now, unfortunately, part of that is because we got some, we got some teachers out there who, well, frankly, are not doing their jobs, they're just, but they're just not very good. They're not very good. And so, but at the same time, I will tell you that it does not seem to be possible to expect better teachers if you don't start placing more trust in the ones that you hire. And uh, this goes to another concept that's in the book, the notion of how school districts tend to have a short view on with regards to the decisions they make uh, in contrast to a long view. They're looking for instant gratification. They're looking for instant results. And the thing is, the decisions they need to be making in all likelihood will not bear fruit in the short term. It is something that's going to take longer to manifest itself. And that is something you see with regards to trusting the teacher. It is not going to be a thing where the principals walk in, they trust the teachers, they act like they trust the teachers, and then all of a sudden you're going to have this amazing school. But rather, it's going to be something that's going to breed a better candidate when it comes time for you to seek a new history position, a new math position. Um, you're going to get better folks start to matriculate. And at a time when you look at the news today and you see a lot of talk about teacher shortage, folks don't work, folks don't want to work in a uh, an industry where they're not trusted, they're not respected beyond platitudes that are thrown out at them at press conferences or at opening meetings. They're relatively vulnerable to those types of comments. And um, teachers, um, we, we, we sometimes bring up Europe, Finland, particularly as a place where they don't have teacher shortages. In fact, they have a long line of um, individuals who are highly qualified to get into those those programs. Uh, but one of the things that that they may have that we don't do as well um, is is professionalizing what they do. That they are the experts, and uh, and it's more collaborative and trying to improve and trying to serve the the student. But there's um, less um, evaluation specifically where the the teacher, just like any type of a testing scenario, will will try to do what's what's expected, try to figure out what how am I graded. You know, and then then do that and put their objectives on the wall and um, do the little little show. But I think that um, throughout the the career of a, a teacher, you know, the longer they're in the profession, the more trust they've they've earned. 
And it should be noted that, you know, I said it like a blanket statement, but I mean, there's a lot of uh, school administrators who feel as we do, who've been around long enough, who've seen the trends and the trends are not always going in a good direction. But even people who are administrators, principals, vice principals of school, what's happening and what's powering this is far beyond them. Now, what makes it difficult from an education standpoint, at least in the United States, I don't know the direct relationship in other countries, but traditionally, we have had a um, we have had the uh, a kind of a, a scenario by which uh education is left up to local governments and i would not necessarily espouse anything different however it is a balance that you have to try to reach between exerting yourself as the authority but then also keeping in mind that you are uh you are answerable to the community as to what you do how you do it and Sometimes that falls into a territory that's not too savory, as some school districts in North Texas are finding out now. Uh, and I'm sure folks on our podcast are listening to our podcast know about some of these things. But at the same time, it also was designed. The reason why it was done at the local level was that it was thought that at the time, a national level couldn't possibly understand what all a particular student needs from a particular place. And the notion that one size fits all doesn't work in education. And that's that's the battle we fight to try to, to think as experts, but do so also keeping in mind that we have other people that we are responsible to. Well, the, the profession, you know, the way that we describe it, you know, we, we resist uh the idea that, that there was a, a golden age, mm. you know, when we were younger in the profession um, because a lot of the things that we discussed were were already there um, the technology is, is, a, is a big big change and the testing you know came a little bit later and and, and there was a time you know early 90s uh, when the, the testing was there but it was a, such so basic mm-hmm. that people didn't really talk about it much um, and then at some point you know there you know, it did shift, and it's when the the scores of the school became you know published in the in the newspaper, and um, thing then it, that, that I think that's when things change. So we we document that transition, um, but I don't think ever it's it, it it's never been easy to be in a a school as as a teacher. It's mm-hmm. a it, I mean it takes you know I'm actually surprised that we're as coherent and as awake. Uh, as we are right now after all these years because every time you're you're there you know there's some part of your life force that goes into the students in a good way but it but it definitely wears you down and if that's not enough all the other things you know that that are involved in teaching take a toll it does um and it particularly hits you and you particularly feel it on those first couple weeks both in you know, projecting your voice, being up and down, you know, working, going around here, there, uh, the fatigue of working uh, of a full day uh, yeah. in some cases uh, in, a, in a in a way that you haven't done in like two and a half months. 
uh, I mean, that that can wear you down. That wears you out. Now, you know, even now by yesterday, I was starting to get my groove back a little bit. About three days. I know. But at the same time, it's, those first couple of days, you just drag your butt home and you're well, asleep by eight or nine or something like that. And Well, and here you are on Saturday morning drinking. Drinking, yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe there's maybe there's something to that. <laughs> you never know. Um, but it's a, it's a long year and it's it's not a sprint. Ross. It's, it's not a sprint. Year. It's a marathon. Yes. And I'm built for marathons. <laughs> well, said no one ever. We we wonder how many more of these marathons you're gonna you're gonna run. I feel like we've been talking about this for the last <laughs> five years. No, but I, um, no, the, who knows? The students need you, Ross. And, and imagine if you weren't in in a classroom, how things would go to hell. You know, somebody else would come in and do a very fine job. I don't know. They wouldn't do it with. Uh, there's just something whatever you would call it, right, uh, that Ross Miller brings when he's in, in that classroom. I will say, and at the risk of sounding as if I am uh, bragging, bragging on yeah. myself, yes, yeah, yeah. being pompous, um, you know, one of the things I love the most when I get notes from students, and I do get notes, sometimes they're handwritten cards, which is very beautiful, sometimes wow. emails, sometimes letters, whatever the case may be, but almost to the person you know one of the things they bring up is the fact that they appreciate that i am enthusiastic about history yeah i care about the subject i care about how it comes across i care about the lessons that students get from history and uh so that's why i know you said we're not gonna we're not gonna touch on this and when maybe we'll just flirt around it but um you know that's why i always have an issue when somebody from the outside starts chirping about how I need to do history one way or another um, because I, th I think I have a pretty good idea how best to bring across history. Um, and th the idea of bringing across history should have no other goal but for the student to have a better idea of where we were and as a result of that, where we are. And as a product of that, where we could be, depending upon if we follow the same tra trajectory, if we go on a different path, um, that's what history is supposed to be about. So, well, um, the low point of, of our book, and I don't know, if, did we talk about this, about incentives in the book? Yeah. And, and uh, because the, the example, I think we've talked about it also. Uh, is that you know things that are sacred to us, such as you know the, the study of history, philosophy, music, uh, are not sacred to everybody, um, and so certain techniques uh, have been used and recommended um, to incentivize, um, really, to re reward virtue, um, mm. uh, the virtue of, of learning, and and what you were just talking about is is a altruistic. It's it's a long-term approach to thinking and living in the world and having this background uh, very different than what's assessed or what's incentivized, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I think what we bring up is, is that it sort of cheapens something that has a more than a sacred element. It's, it's, it's our lives. That's our career. So when I, um, when I, the first day of class, one of the things I asked the students to do, one is kind of like a, God forbid I use this, I use these terminologies, but like an icebreaker, but to be able to have them talk about who they are, what's their name, where they're from. And then one of the things I always ask them at the end is what do you, 
what are you looking forward to studying in this course? And I tell them, I said, listen, before you start railing against history, keep in mind, this is my life's endeavor. Let's, <laughs> let's not be, let's not be a jerk about it. Yeah. You know, just to say, yeah, I, I the credit. <laughs> let's just say, let's just say that uh, I don't have anything that I'm interested in yet. Let's, uh, let's provide the hope that uh, if I do my job right, that indeed you could come around and at least appreciate and get something out of one thing that I do over the course of a year. Okay, so do they all just say that? They all say that. <laughs> but they'll yeah. say the same thing. I, I don't know anything yet. Yes. Except that really like World War II. Can you tell us about oh, that? <laughs> it is shocking. how So the kids who do have something, yeah. it is. it would be unusual if they did not say, uh, I like the Civil War. Yeah, and I like World War War. I like the World so Wars. That's, that's they, don't even, they don't even break it up to World War II or World War One. They just say, I just like World Wars. You know, I like it when a bunch of people get together and start shooting each other. And I don't know if they sound like that, but I mean, it's the idea. <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> imitation of a student. Um, but, you well, know, but, but, you know, part of their notion, you can look at the kids that say that and you're like, That's the kid that does the. Uh, does the shooter uh, video games, you know, where they're... Well, they all do that. Come on. <laughs> I don't do that. Well, yeah. I, I did it for real back in the day, but I mean, but uh, I'm doing video games about it. So, well, so but that's that's the challenge you have. Yes. You know, they come in with, with that uh, expectation mm. uh, and you're going to tell them to crack a book and read it because, you mm. know, history, uh, the German word, Geschichte, Geschichte. Uh, is, is pretty much story. Yes, you know, and and which means it entails reading. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there are oral histories and there's video history, but mm -hmm. for the most part, it's it's a writing and reading subject, and they get their hands dirty. But that's not what they expect coming in. They expect you to be Alex Trebek. You know, with, <laughs> <laughs> what day did this happen? And and and, he and here's the thing that works against us the most, and we do talk about this as well, and that is the kind of the compartmentalization of education. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll have kids that say, uh, well, what are you interested in to study this year? Well, I'm more of a math person. No, you're not. You're not a math person. You're not a history person. You're not a <laughs> science person. You're not any kind of person. You have the capacity to know it all, to be able to succeed in learning it all. You are not born coming out of the womb and someone says, this is going to be a math person. I can tell it's the distance between the eyes uh, or something like that. I mean, we're not pre-programmed for any particular discipline. Now, we may like one discipline over the other. We may prefer one, but mentally we have the capacity equally for all of the disciplines. Well, I, I read a, or heard a comment from actually while I was doing research. This is a published article in a, a journal of middle level, so middle school education. Mm. And one of the questions I asked the, the students um, was was about math. And and these were all students who scored really high in math. So they were um, the, the top of the, the class, you know, the whole school, actually. And I asked them, why, why, do, you, why do you like math? And, you know, one student said, I like math because it's easy. Hmm. And I thought, okay, um, it's easy. So you're, you're good at it? Well, I, I think I am because it's easy. 
and, and <laughs> you know, it, it stopped me in my tracks. Because how, how do you respond to to something like that? Hmm. I the there is, and there have been people who have tried to make the argument against ease. You know, Mencius, the uh, Chinese philosopher, said that it was the it was the path to destruction. It was the path to ruin. Seeking constantly what is easy. Um, now it's possible that that kid later on, because you said this was middle school, yeah. So they weren't in the thick of the more complicated maths, and so it's possible that they will go into some of the more complicated maths in high school, and they will either say, "Man, math is horrible," or they got a talent for it, or they got an aptitude for it, and they go in and they and they can do some math. Um, uh, so I, it, I think it's in the at the middle school level, mm-hmm. it's an incomplete answer. That's right, because the experiences are incomplete as of as of at that point. So can you read the, or tell us that quote again from you said Mentris? Because you texted something like that exactly to me, and I, I was scrambling, thinking, "What am I doing? I'm, I'm lounging around right now." And Ross is texting me this this quote i took it um, as you i wasn't using my time well or something <laughs> um what is it is we survive in adversity and perish in ease and comfort so i was just sitting in my chair at that point uh, you enjoying. were perishing yeah i was <laughs> I, 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 I was watching tv <laughs> and having fun and then suddenly this text comes up from ross miller i yeah. thought what am i doing with my life i need to <laughs> change everything and fast <laughs> I, I think, ah, oh man. I have, a, I have a, well, no, I'm just thinking about it because I have a quote on my wall. It's from Wittgenstein, the German yeah. philosopher, who said, I'm not sure why we're here, but I'm pretty sure it's not to enjoy ourselves. And I think sometimes when students read that, they think it's an all or nothing proposition. And I and it is that's not the case, but what we do have in in with our students, and Lord knows some of our adults, where their goal on a daily basis has more to do with distracting and entertaining themselves than it does with getting done what they were meant to do on this planet while we're here. So I I you know my kids think that quote is horrific, but I tell them you're looking at it incorrectly because I think it's not about the fact that you're not supposed to have fun or you're not supposed to be able to relax. I think when you have a society whose focus is on distraction, whose focus is on fun and relaxation, I think that that's potentially a problem. Well, the, the, the quote um, we, we bring up uh, Friedrich Nietzsche a mm-hmm. lot mm-hmm. and, and that, that would be friendly to him that 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 notion um of really being able to command and obey and and the obeying is not what you think it's Mm. it is to obey externally when when you need to but it's really to train your will so that you can command yourself Mm. and then um, do what you're told by yourself through discipline comes freedom yes yes wow that's so 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 again i mean several people have tried to make the case uh on the national scale unfortunately not recently the last person i can think of that spoke directly to this idea was kennedy 
when he said uh, we go to the moon not because it's easy but because it's hard um you know and, and i think that there's value in doing hard things i think there's value in doing strenuous things the and so when it comes to education our education system right now is filled with review guides, tips, shortcuts, how to beat the AP exam, little videos. Little videos. Yes. And so I, all that stuff is designed to take away from the difficulty. And Thomas Paine says what we achieve, we esteem too lightly the things that come too easily, you know. And there's there's something there's something to be said about the value of doing something and doing something uh, that's difficult. There's a value to us as people, as as souls, um, as a country. I think it's good to be able to seek out things that are difficult. This is all motivational. You should be a keynote speaker. Um, I would never get a chance. No, it's, it's like it's like the uh, commencement speech. They would yeah. never let me be the no. commencement speech guy. So no, I, I think the two of us should be on a stage um, <laughs> with, with microphones and, and kind of do what we do. But then you can segue it into one of those demotivational speeches where you're, <laughs> you're berating people for lack of effort. You're, you're kind of like a, a coach, but really dark and mean. <laughs> Is that a pen? Oh, your uniform. <laughs> <laughs> so yelling. <laughs> I really like Mr. Miller's class, but uh, he, he needs yells to too much. You know? <laughs> oh my goodness! Of course, it should be said, just in case someone takes this for for truth. Yeah, I don't yell in the classroom. No, no, you have that quiet. Them, yes. Yeah, you give them the look and they yes, like they, they get up to use the bathroom and you'll say, What are you doing? And they just <laughs> they don't even respond, they just sort of sit down. <laughs> I will say that as an adult and as a teacher, yeah, there is something quite remarkable about walking into a group of teenagers and have them go quiet. Uh, because and they may not even be talking about anything as uh provocative, but I mean just walk in there and and all of a sudden they just get quiet because oh shoot, he's here, you know, or something like, like that. Power. Uh I wouldn't say it's power necessarily, but I do I do find it humorous. So that happens every day, or do they ignore no, not you? every day? Eventually I mean, they just ignore you and keep on <laughs> keep on talking. Then I told her then, you know, then pretty soon they're just talking all kind of crap in front of me. But no, I mean I I do have a particular demeanor that some find intimidating. It's not designed to be intimidating. No, it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, I tried for a while and to have my students stand because I know they did that or they do that with the younger students <laughs> in, in Germany. And I, I thought, what the hell? I can do this. And, and so I tried training them. It lasted like one day. You know, I come in. What and are I, we doing? <laughs> stand up. What? Get up. Get up, everybody. I, my leg hurts. <laughs> I was in practice. Yeah. All right. Fine. Your leg hurts. You know, I don't know. The short, long and short of it is, I think we have a book that touches on a lot of different angles and a lot of different, um, um, you know, areas that we as a school system in this country are struggling with. And I think one of the things that we're able to do is we're able to shine a light on that. We're able to explain why it's a problem and we're able to provide a possible solution to that. Um, and I think at the end of it, 
I can't help but think that you will be edified personally, spiritually, metaphysically. <clears throat> I think that uh, should more and more people read it, uh, our country could be able to step away from the precipice. Um, that's what I think our book has to offer. Well, the, the the people listening need to buy it and read it and write and write a write a review. Write a review. You know, do the five stars, but write a review. Yeah, if it's not five stars, don't write the review. No, no, yeah, no, no. We don't. We don't want to pretend. Back. Pretend this conversation never happened. Yeah, we're not. We're not telling you exactly what to write. You no, no, that would be uh, wrong. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but do do buy it. Um, the title again. I I can't quite remember it. It's so, it's so long. What was it? The center cannot hold a critical look at contemporary education. Okay. So, All right. So remember that. Um, can we let them go now, or are you, you going to keep talking about the book? Now let's let's go drink some more. Oh my so, gosh! Let's uh, we can cheers. I think you have a drop left. Yeah, I have a drop to swallow. All so. right, toasting our our new book. Mazel tov. Mazel tov, yeah. indeed.